You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, hello, everybody. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 55, The Best Way to Lead. Well, all of us in ministry are certainly looking for ways to improve our leadership constantly. Uh, We want to be able to lead with character, lead with good vision, lead others in a healthy way. And what is the best way to do that? Well, the best way to do that, I believe, is laid out in Scripture in several different places. And my guest today will help us expound upon that. Uh, You might have heard of him before. His name is George Clooney. I'm just joking, but once you hear his voice, you won't be able to unhear it. Uh, His name is Joel Manby. Uh, Joel has been in the leadership business for a long time. Uh, He has served with several companies as the CEO, ranging from GM to Saab specifically, uh, to SeaWorld, um, to Hershend Enterprises, a family-owned theme park business, which got him on Undercover Boss, uh, which we'll talk about in the episode. And Joel and I talk about how to lead well, how to grow in development of yourself and how you lead, and really to show others how Uh, The best way to lead is the best way for us to represent ourselves as believers in Christ, uh, a combination of the greatest commandment and the great commission. So let's go ahead and hop into this great conversation with Joel. All right, Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for hopping on with me today. I really appreciate it. This will be a great conversation. I can already feel it. Well, thanks, Jeff. It's a real pleasure to be on and and, uh, love listening to your show. It's really good. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Uh, So for our conversation for this episode, uh, we'll be talking about how to lead well, uh, especially when it comes to investing in the next generation. Uh, There are leadership books and conferences as far as the eye and Google searches can see. Uh, But many of us probably approach the concept of leadership primarily primarily by uh, doing what feels natural for us, along with trying to utilize various methods and tips that we have read or heard along the way. Uh, So Joel, let's start by talking about your own leadership journey. how did you initially approach leadership when you began to take on all of these roles, especially in the corporate world with leadership, but then in your own personal life with your faith? So you started approaching leadership and you had to handle it in some way. So how did you begin with leadership and how has that progressed? Sure. That's a great question. And uh, I'll start by saying you're right. I think we tend to go what's natural or what we see around us even more so. And and so I feel for young leaders today because there's so much information out there that sometimes it's hard to discern what's right and what's wrong. But also our society just in the last you know 10 years has become so much more divisive. And I think the advent of the internet and social media has just promulgated more of a negative kind of doggy dog world that's not quite as 
positive as when I was growing up. At least that's what it feels like to me. So I think it's harder for young leaders to know what to do out there in that uh, pretty tough world. And especially if you are a person of faith. And I became a Christian when I was 16. So to answer your question, when I got out in the work world, I wanted to apply my faith in business. It was what I felt called to do. I, I felt my ministry was in the, the secular marketplace. Um, you know, I had a good education, undergrad, went to Harvard for business school. I really wanted to uh, apply that. But when I, what I found anyway, Jeff, is when I got into the auto industry, which was very, very, it's a very cutthroat industry. I think it's one of the most competitive industries in the world. And what I was modeled was not at all what I had hoped to see. And it was very uh, fear-based. It was very autocratic. Um, you know, it's kind of think of the cigar smoking, scotch drinking, cussing, swearing uh, auto industry guys. And it's changed a lot, but this is 30 years ago almost 40 years ago now. And so I became really disenchanted, to be honest with you. I was mm. trying to follow my own instincts, but I did not see a loving servant leadership approach at all. And so I found myself frustrated. I, I made a few job changes trying to find the right answer. And I, I, I could summarize it by saying, I, I learned a lot more what not to do than what to do when I was mm. in the auto industry. So I had this huge angst inside of me that I know I'm called to lead, but I don't see any examples of Jesus's leadership or leading with love that's, that's out there. And so what happened to me in, in, that, in that angst I was feeling, I was literally uh, in my late 30s, uh, actually 40 years old before I really was exposed to a true servant leadership culture. And that's when I, I, was, I was CEO of Saab North America um, in the auto industry. It was my second CEO experience. And I was then asked to be on the board of this theme park company called Hershen Family Entertainment, which is run by the Hershen family in, in Missouri, but we had properties all over the country. In a pure act of God, which is uh, too long of a story probably to tell in this podcast, but I was in a pretty low point in my own leadership journey. Um, I mean, I'll tell you the high point. I went from Saab to run an Amazon startup. Back in 1999, Amazon sold cars on the internet, which most people don't realize. Hmm. That was the company I was running. But we ran into the uh, dot-com implosion in 2000. Uh, some of your listeners were, were maybe five years old then, but uh, it caused that whole industry to kind of implode. And so we were forced to sell in a really tough situation. But out of that came a God calling from the chairman of Hershen, Jack Hershen, to bring me into the theme park company. So I switched from autos to theme parks. And it was truly a calling because it was there that the Hershens showed me servant leadership in its entirety. And what happened is from their teaching, which we can get into if we have time, um, uh, I've, I started a vernacular around it called Love Works because they didn't have a vernacular. They didn't have a training program, but I taught, I took what they were teaching me and put it into a seven word vernacular. It was really seven words of love as defined in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, love is patient, love is kind. It was also trusting, truthful, forgiving, unselfish, and dedicated. And we, we literally put behaviors to each of these words and taught our leaders how to love their employees. Not, not love the emotion, but love the verb. 
And then our, our company was featured on Undercover Boss, which have you ever heard of Undercover Boss? Absolutely. It's a CBS, yeah. uh, CBS you know, reality TV show. And, and we were the sixth episode and 20 million people saw our program because we followed the NCAA quarterfinals. And <laughs> we were just inundated. I mean, completely inundated with letters, faxes, emails, texts about how can we have a culture like that? And, and that's what led me to write the book, Love Works, which uh, was just republished again this past spring. And, you know, we can come back to that. But it was, it was that journey of really being completely disenchanted with what I saw in the auto industry, going through something that I thought was a disaster, which was leading that Amazon startup and really ending in a way I didn't want it to end. But out of that, I was called into something. I would have never dreamed of going to the small theme park company, but because of the circumstances God put me there, I know to learn and see servant leadership. And so ever since I was 40, the rest of my leadership journey has been to either execute a love works culture and, and or teach others to do so. And I can say definitively to all your listeners, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. I've seen autocratic and, and fear-based style versus love-based style. And there's no doubt numerically and just your hunch and gut instinct, it's the right way to lead. If you care about people, this is the only way to lead. And your listeners can feel confident whether they're in ministry or for-profit world. Um, it does work and it does get the results that we want to, to, to get. And uh, that's, that's kind of my, my journey to get through a love works culture. Now I will say the biggest thing, if I had to summarize the biggest thing at Hershend is most of leadership, we're all focused on our do goals, what we have to do, you know, how many, how many kids in our ministry do we have to grow and, and all the activities and we tend not to think enough about our B goals, which is what kind of leader do we want to be in our heart? And to me, that definition is those seven words of love that, that we talked about and um, happy, happy to go through those if we, if we have time in the show. Yeah. Oh, that's a great answer. That's a great um, just snapshot uh, of your journey and so much of how you explained learning leadership, and then certainly tying who you are in Christ through um, what seems like, especially as a believer, logical outworking of faith as in, hey, let's love one another and love our employees, create an atmosphere um, in the corporate world and at this job and at our parks about how just to be kind, be patient, care for one another, and for that to just attract so much attention when people got to national view of that through that CBS show. Um, and I think it stands out even more now. You mentioned in the last 10 years, the divisive nature, the polarization, which is something that if any of you have listened to my, sh to my show uh, more than a few episodes, you might be like, oh, again, because I probably say that word almost every episode uh, because of just how in our face and overt that reality is with politics, religion, social issues, you name it. And so for everyone to see love at work, like as a verb and just, hey, be kind to one another. When you're serving people, don't just try and put on a smile and just try and collect your paycheck. If you actually care and show that, not just to 
customers or visitors, but your peers and coworkers as well. You know, I think of companies like Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out, other, other uh, companies You're that right. do have also faith-based um, sources and just how to actually care and enjoy your job. And when you care for others and care for each other, people enjoy coming to work and it just kind of self-perpetuates and feeds itself. You're exactly right, Jeff. And the knock on leading with love or servant leadership for people who don't understand is they think it's too soft or they think, well, you'll never get the performance or the numbers won't be there. And the cynics out there, that's what I have found. They think the truth is, and I I have so much data, we could spend an entire program just going through data, but we've purchased about 15 different companies in my two experiences at at Hershend and SeaWorld. And most of the acquisitions were horrible cultures where people were not treated well. The company wasn't doing well. That's why we were buying them. We would put this love work system in place. And within three years, pretty consistently, it takes that long because you have to change out some leaders. You have to be tough. And and that's another misunderstanding is that love doesn't always mean being nice. You have to be truthful with respect and you have to hold people accountable to, to what needs to happen. But consistently, the, the, the numbers went from, let's say, a 15% engagement level, which means only 15% of the people are fully engaged in their work. That's a horrible score. The national average, according to Gallup, is only 30% top box engagement work, which means people aren't very engaged. We would take that number to 80 to 85, 75%, which is really world class. And just like you said, Jeff, turnover plummets, attitude goes up, engagement goes up inclusivity goes up, equality goes up, and you have, as a result, a very engaged and diverse and equal, a culture filled with equality because of respect for people, and that creates great financial results. And so I I press that point because your listeners who are in their 30s, 20s, probably most of them, they need to know that this, this modeling does work. And whether you're in ministry or you're in for-profit world, don't lose faith in the number one commandment. You know, sometimes, and I hope this isn't taken uh, the wrong way, but I think sometimes in ministry and in life, Christians focus too much on the great commission and not enough on the great commandment. Mm. And people aren't going to be interested in the commission of Jesus, unless they see love in you. And, and that certainly applies for student ministers in its entirety. Uh, So I, I really want to press that point that I've seen it as a 61 year old man with 40 years of business experience. It definitely works and they should have confidence in it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, that distinction, uh, if it's taken the wrong way, which hopefully it's not, it's a sign that we put very narrow borders and make the gospel myopic. And we don't really consider the impact beyond the fire insurance element of it. And we don't, hmm. because I think the, the, uh, the, the great commandment is foundational to the gospel and the great commission. You're right. You know, you can, share truth and the father's going to reveal himself and draw people to himself. But if we're just dry conduits of just, Hey, here's the truth and whatever. And 
we treat people as a number or as a notch on our gun belt or whatever illustration <laughs> that you want to give. And That's we don't one. invite them into relationship, into community, into showing them how um, the Christian life is not just a checkbox on a decision for what afterlife is, you know, f- and as far as their view, it's inviting them into new life now, not just when Jesus comes back, but now. And it's a community, it's a kingdom, it's so much bigger than that. I think that's really well said, but I, can I can I make a point to that? Because sure. I think the other thing I would add that was just put into my mind, so I will share it, is that you, you said at the, at the first part of your question, people tend to follow what feels natural to them. I can tell you that that's, that could be a bad result because early in our careers, and when I was in my 25s, in my 20s, my 30s, my focus was on my own career, my own next best steps. And if I had to do it all over again, I would switch faster to thinking about how to build up others within the enterprise, the people I was leading, people who were junior to me or St. Peers of me or even superior to me, because the biggest transition in leadership, and I, I did it when I was probably in my early 40s when I was my second CEO gig, was to to- totally focus on other people and worry about their success because when you the, the bigger the enterprise you're leading, whether it's ministry or business, the more you have to delegate, the more you have to have it done through other people. And so when your focus is them and their development and their growth and their success, then your success happens in an exponential level. You can't scale unless you learn to lead that way. And I wish I knew that faster in my 20s and probably learned it uh, just by putting by being put in charge of larger and larger organizations. But it's not necessarily natural to do that when you're in your 20s and 30s. And it has to be something that comes from within and comes from prayer and just an attitude of God will take care of the rest. I just need to love other people and follow those seven words of love that are outlined in, in love works. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes hand in hand with what you said earlier about focusing on do goals instead of be goals. Right. Um, and that uh, is a nice segue uh, to this next area that we want to look at um, with leadership, probably uh, especially concerning those who are listening. So Joel, based on your own experience and growth regarding leadership, it's clear that you value that concept of servant-based, love works, leadership. Uh, and your vast corporate experience along with your current roles as chairman of the board at Orange and Rethink has undoubtedly provided you with insight to the nuance of leadership with sev- with several different contexts and age groups. So you have, you know, as you kind of mentioned, you know, talking about how people think uh, when they're certain ages, but also um, most of those who are listening are working with teenagers. And so um, we are definitely several years apart, most of us from those teenage years, even if we feel like it was yesterday, it's <laughs> longer than yesterday. Uh, and so Joel, for our listeners who primarily work with teenagers, you know, th- and thinking about kind of what you've seen and that love works, but also coming into orange and everything else. What are some distinct leadership elements you think that they need com- um, compared to those uh, who work with younger children or adults? Or adults, yeah. yeah. I think that's a great question. And I, I do think there are a few things that are unique with teenagers. I'm, but if you don't mind, I'm going to start with saying 
what what isn't unique and go back to to love for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and finish up a point on that, and then I'm going to give you a couple things that I think are are completely unique uh, with, with teenagers. Um, but what what does work always, no matter what age group, is love. And I think one point I didn't make is it, it is love the verb. A lot of people think of it as love the emotion. And because English only has one word for love, unfortunately, the Greeks, which the by the New Testament was written in has four words for love, like eros, which is where erotic comes from. And that's the kind of love most Americans think of it's emotion. But as you know, we're talking about agape love here, which is a verb agapeo. And it's how you treat people regardless how you feel about them. But you think about those words I mentioned earlier, those seven words from first Corinthians 13 patience. We have to be patient with teenagers, right? They can do some crazy things sometimes yeah. kindness. I mean, you know, being, being that one adult in their life that is kind to them and writes them encouragement notes and notices the things they do still works being truthful to them in a loving way. You know, teenagers need to be told the truth. They don't like to hear it, but if it's done in a loving way, it's still relevant. I think trust is one of the words. I know trust is one of the words, and I think it's very relevant because teenagers need a safe place. And Reggie Joyner at Orange, the CEO of Orange, is always talking about being the safe place for teenagers. As a, as a youth leader, they have to trust you. And you, you know, I'm telling you things that you already know, but forgiveness is one of the words. And how many times when we're working with teenagers, do they say something either with a look or, or words that hurt us, that, that we feel rejected? We don't want to help them because they don't act like they want to be helped. But forgiveness is so important. Selflessness, obviously, but also dedication is, is one of the seven words. And it, it's so proven through Orange's work with churches around the world and, and Reggie has proven this over and over again, a youth, a teenager that has two or three adults in their life that reinforce who they are and give them that confidence that they can be loved and they can be lovable and they can succeed in this world is so important. I, I know from myself, I, my, my dad was gone all the time. My mom had many mental health issues. And so I didn't have a lot of confidence growing up as a child, but it took a couple caring adults through church and through other Christian activities that poured into me and were dedicated to give me that confidence that really changed my life. So I would start to answer your question with, let's not forget what what is, again, Jesus's number one message and how it can be applied to, to teenagers. And I think it's still relevant of course, but a, a couple other things, um, and you know, Orange is built around small groups, but if, if a youth leader, um, I think, uh, focuses on keeping a consistent adult in a small group structure is so important. So they have that consistent adult and it's not different every week. And um, I think that is, is probably pretty intuitively obvious, but here's the, the other point that's unique that Again, maybe a little controversial, but in my experience and in, in what I've seen at Orange with a lot of youth leaders is their, their focus tends to be more about the, the message, the sermon on Sunday, so to speak, that they're giving to their youth group. And that there's only, especially when they're volunteers, there's only so many hours of the day and days of the week. And I think time spent there can be sucked away from the time that's better spent just loving 
those kids and either being at their events or writing them that note or making that phone call. And this isn't a plug for Orange, but one thing Orange does in the student curriculum is give the, the leaders the, all the tools they need to speak on Sunday and a lot of great video product to go with it so that they can focus on what's most important, which is just loving those kids and being that consistent adult in their life. And that's especially true in smaller churches. I mean, a bigger church where it's full-time pastors and they have more time, that may be a different story. But for the thousands of churches that are the youth ministry is run by a part-time volunteer, I do think something like Orange, where you get resources, it doesn't have to be Orange, it could be any, any resource that gives you some of the messaging so you can focus more on uh, the actual loving of those those kids when they come in or, or throughout the week. And so I, I think those are a couple unique things. And um, at least from what I've seen at Orange, those are the, the two that popped into my head. Yeah. Thinking, no. thinking small and then, and then focusing on everything. Uh, let the message kind of come from some other tool so you can focus on the one-on-one interaction. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I would concur on that. And what I've seen other youth ministry podcasts or resources like Orange um, or other groups do is, uh, you know, really tend to highlight that reality of, hey, I know the message is important. Hey, I know that your programming and content is important. Um, but the main aspect uh, of ministry and the main reason that those kids are walking in the door in many practical and spiritual ways is relationship. It's community yeah. as well yeah. as, what, as what we just talked about with the great commandment and the great commission. Um, and in order to build those relationships, um, it forces us, I think, to focus on what we highlighted in the previous question, which is on the beagles and not the mm-hmm. dougals. And here's the same thing. Like we, you know, even we're in ministry and, and we might highlight it or others highlight it as, oh, this is the holy work. This is the best work. And yet we still um, can have a routine and fall into this trap, if you will, of like, well, here's, here are my goals. Here's my to-do list and I'm going to do it. And it's good. Um, and really, it's, um, and I think it probably needs a paradigm shift or just a resetting of perspective in order to really see that our goal is the relationships um, and the message and programming are components of that, but it shouldn't be about the program with the relationship and community being a supplement of it. It should be the reverse. So that's a great, that's a great, great point. And, and as you know, as, as, as the ministry grows, that relationship may be primarily with all the volunteers who are the small group leaders yeah. of, of the youth. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that can be overwhelming too, because as a youth leader, you want to pour in, you're, you're in it because you want to pour into the kids or the teenagers, sorry. Um, but the reason, the truth is if you're the, the lead youth pastor, you have to pour into the volunteers who are actually doing That's that. That's right that high touch work. And Mm -hmm. on one hand that can be frustrating and I've seen it and I've heard it and I've heard youth pastors talk about it, but the highest calling as a leader is to support those who are right directly kind of working for you and and building them up and, uh, and getting the gratifications through watching what they do directly with the youth. And although having said that, 
I will, I would still add one point and I learned this big time from Jack Hershend. Um, you know, when I was at Hershend or SeaWorld, I was CEO of SeaWorld after Hershend, you know, we had at SeaWorld 25,000 employees at Hershend, we had 13,000 employees. There's no way I can know everybody's name or stay on top of all the issues. They're just, they're, they're overwhelming um, from a business standpoint, from a personal standpoint. But no matter what, I still always picked one or two people. Um, as Andy Stanley says at North Point, do for one what you wish you can do for everyone. I would still always pick a couple of folks that I stayed really close to. And it started with an undercover boss episode. I, I poured into those people's lives that I happened to meet on the front line. They had huge uh, life issues they were going through. And instead of delegating all of it, I, I would always have two or three that I was staying close to. And that fed my soul of wanting to help the uh, working poor or someone on the front line because my dad was working poor. So it gave me that gratification. That I think youth pastors also want so it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be just a focus on the, the volunteer leader, but it has to be the primary focus. But still, I would encourage youth leaders to pick, you know, stay in touch with some of the folks in, in their ministry, the, the teenagers. Um, and so it's a mix of volunteer building, but also direct interaction with some of the teens. And I hope that makes sense. But it's something I had to learn, because if you don't do that, the more your ministry grows, you can become um uh, almost cold to it in a way. I, um, you know, you, you start to walk by the issues because you're so focused on pouring into your leaders that that we can get away from the frontline issues. For me, it was frontline theme park employees, but for a youth minister, it's it's the teens coming into their ministry on Sundays or, or whenever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that 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 connection um, on all levels with leadership, with students, peers. Um, you know, I. I've said this several times in the podcast as well, but uh, you know the the uh, church leaders I've had in my life, especially youth leaders. Um, if money and logistics weren't an issue, I probably would have had a line of groomsmen back to the wall. You know, I have had so many men and women, um, but really, especially men, step in as mentors and leaders uh, in all these seasons of my life and. Um, you know, I also have friends that I've known since the church nursery <laughs> and just those connections have really shown me something that I do not take for granted. And it's just those relationships, um, that feeling of community and just walking this journey of faith and life together, whether it's your ministry, uh, you know, all of those things, uh, are so valuable with those components of relationships the two major things I thought of as far as youth ministry is concerned, uh, and I'm sure Reggie and people at Orange have thought of this too, is, you know, if you focus on the do goals as a minister, I feel like that leads to cynicism and burnout. And if you focus on those as a parent, um, you know, that can lead to, yay, my kid got into their top college of choice, but are we, are, as parents, are we thinking about, do they love well? Do they care for people well? You know, and those character elements of, you know, that will really go for long-term things more than a summer camp, more than uh, getting accepted into college. And it's that underlying foundational relational aspect of the gospel, of our ministry, of our faith, of how we're to love one another. They will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. 
Um, and that's what people see, you know, and you have evidence of that from people seeing that on TV and asking you about it and the rates of people loving to be at work, you know, jumping that high. Um, and it just takes love being at work. Well, it's well said. I think we're, unfortunately we're in a do goal culture, right. And, and, um, right, right. but I agree with you in the end of the day, when you're on your, your deathbed, you're going to be thinking more about relationships and did I love other people and do people love me? And, and trust me, I mean, if you read the second edition of the book, I won't go into it, but I went through a really, really dark period uh, through the SeaWorld experience of just being, unfortunately, some some evil people on the board. Um, I, I actually went through a really tough uh, divorce, which I never dreamed I would go through in my life. I mean, it was the antithesis to where I thought I would end up, but it was just a very tough four years. And if I believe that as hard as I wanted to try the Dougal culture um, still affected me too much, um, you know, too, too worried about failure, too, just working what, however many hours it took seven days a week, uh, 24 hours a day at SeaWorld to try to turn around a really, really desperate situation took a toll. And uh, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I, I would heed, heed my words much more about the Beagles are the only thing that can really bring you contentment. The do goals come and go. And in the end of the day, don't really mean very much. Um, but there's not much in our society that reinforces that, which is part of why I'm on your show. I'm glad you're saying the same thing, but it really is all about be goals. It's about relationships. It's about love and the, and the do goals in the end of the day, the older you get, the less they matter. So mm. I think you're dead on right there. It's good that you know that at your age. Yeah. Thank Yeah. And you know, that's, uh, you know, I kind of from your own perspective and, um, uh, there are, there are hard things, um, that we, we wish <laughs> we would have had that perspective when we were younger and, and before. And, you know, that's, that's a big reason why I'm even doing this. You know, I know that there are 30 odd, some major youth ministry podcasts, but for one, just my own, benefit from having great conversations with people, but also just being able to be at least w one more voice to say, I know some of these things might seem like no brainers and they're subtle and not super um, impacting. But uh, if you just have this perspective or just take this one approach, um, you will see great things for yourself personally, as far as how you grow. And you'll also avoid some of these other pitfalls. Yeah, um, well, amen to that. Yeah. And so kind of to go to wrap up, you know, we've talked a lot about leadership, you know, Joel, you've had great experience. You've talked about some great things for us to remember. Uh, inevitably, most of us who work with teenagers already have a day job because we're volunteers or we will move on at some point to another field or career uh, based on your own journey of kind of going between different uh companies and, and, and corporate uh, scenes and all of that, how would you guide those who are looking to continue their development as a leader past maybe youth ministry or other things? Because you've had to kind of build and grow that love works uh, as you've changed companies and, and where you are. So people who are listening, how would you guide them to continue developing as a leader? Yeah. 
I, I, the first thing you've already mentioned it is to to find mentors, like you said, you've had some great ones, or at least find leaders that were, where you can see they follow the the love vernacular or leading with love. So that would mean reading a lot, like you said, Chick Fil A, or um, stop and go. What is it? Stop and go. But there's also tons of other examples. Or I, I wrote down a couple of um, older books that people may not have heard of, but Bill Pollard, William Pollard wrote The Soul of the Firm. He was chairman of the board of Service Master, very Christian type uh, servant leadership. Or James Autry wrote a book called Love and Profit, which was real meaningful to me. And so whether it's reading, listening to podcasts, but find people who think that way and have been successful that way so that you know and are reinforced by that type of material versus the, the many more podcasts are out there with just, as you said, bipartisan attacking polarization messages that are hard to get away from. So surround yourself with some that aren't so polarizing and having those mentors. Cause for me, like I said, for the first 20 years of my career, I didn't realize that that leading with love really was out there. I thought it was, but I needed to see it and feel it and be mentored into it. So reading, listening to the right things, having a mentor. Um, also, I would say take on take on tough jobs, take on really heavy challenges because that's how you grow and learn. Mm-hmm. You learn just as I, I've learned more from my mistakes and the failures. Uh, it's, it's kind of a five-fold intensity learning when things are going tough uh, or poorly than when everything's smooth. That may be intuitive, but um, I've, if you look at my career, whether it's, you know, Saab was in the tanks, we, we helped turn that around or, you know, the Amazon startup was very difficult or SeaWorld was a massive turnaround. Um, you learn a lot from those experience. And so I would, I would take those on. Uh, the other thing though, I would say, uh, learning from my own life that if I had to do all over again, I'd do a little differently is if, if you're in a situation or a job where you don't trust the leader or you don't respect their leadership style, um, I, I, I probably stayed too long too many times in those situations. And it's, it's very difficult to change a culture yourself. You can change your department. You can change the people around you. But if the organization is led by someone who is not leading with love and is not trustworthy, I would... I would get out. And I, I learned that the, the hardest at, at SeaWorld where um, a, a particular individual came onto our board, an activist investor who proved very quickly he was not trustworthy. And um, I tried so hard to make it work. Again, really, when evil starts to creep into that conversation, I don't say that about many people, um, it, it destroyed me and actually helped was a contributor to my marriage failure because I tried so hard to make it work within a context of an environment that had nothing to do with love. And it was completely um, about him and the results, the numerical results with no, no care or concern about other people. And I, I learned that I, I should have left that a year and a half earlier and, and things may have turned out differently, but I was so bent on not failing there and making it work because we were making great progress. And I just, I say that because I see some younger leaders struggling so much in their current environments. And um, I think part of it is because they don't have the right 
leadership in their organizations or their department. And I just would encourage them not to wait too long because it's, um, it's very hard to change people's stripes at the top. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, you know, bringing it full circle back to Andy Stanley. That's uh, one of the things I remember him talking about at a catalyst conference was how to know when to go. (laughs) Yeah. And when, you know, when you've tried, um, approaching that top leadership and, you know, as first Corinthians five says, being a minister of reconciliation and really trying that, but then time and again, having that trustworthiness just stripped and nothing there and seeing, polarization and being divisive and selfish and all those things that love, you know, isn't, um, yeah, you know, we, we have a personal responsibility to be able to safeguard ourselves. And that goes back to what I mentioned earlier about burnout and and cynicism as well. You know, we need to be able to see where, um, we might be of use, um, in a, in a place where people are open and receptive to that. And, and I'm glad you I'm glad you added the caveat because I, I didn't have time to go into the whole story and don't but I don't have time but I I did try several times going to the board to try to correct the situation and uh, you know probably hit my head against the wall ten times probably should have stopped at about five mm-hmm. and yeah you, you do have a responsibility to go through it because you can also learn from that about yourself right um, but but at some point if it's damaging your health damaging your relationships with others, then it's time to, to think about moving on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Joel, this has been a lot of fun, uh, very enlightening. I'm so glad that you're able to come on. Uh, I want to give you the chance to uh, be able to tell people um, where they can keep up with you online, more about your book with the second edition was just published. So tell us about where people can find you, hear you and read your work online. Sure. So it's, it's joelmanby.com. Um, and you can buy the book there. Uh, it, you, it comes with some free uh, accessories like a, a five, I'm sorry, three-part video series on leading through a crisis. And certainly when we've been in a crisis with COVID, uh, the book's also available on Amazon, but it's, it's uh, for affordable on the website. And there's some blogs there as well on joelmanby.com that, um, and I, of course, social media on LinkedIn or Facebook. I have a professional page there. So any of those, um, work and we'd love for people to uh to follow and uh we'll keep dialoguing about servant leadership and uh, that's that's with whatever number of years god's god gives me in the rest of my life i want to dedicate it to showing people that god's jesus's number one commandment um can work in the work world and in the ministry world and we should keep focused on it yeah absolutely well said well joel i'll be uh praying for you as you continue to make everyone realize uh, and God uses you in opportunities and positions to show how love does work and how, especially as believers and leaders, that's what we should have propel us more than anything else. So thanks well, again, thank you. I appreciate you having me, Jeff. Good luck to you. Thank you. All right. Take care. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Joel for joining me. Uh, you can find the links to his book and website in the show notes. Uh, Also, when I made that reference about 1 Corinthians 5, I meant 2 Corinthians 5. My mistake. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it. And be sure to follow us on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find those social media handles and more at our website, youthministrymaverick.com. 
There you will also find some guest bios, a comprehensive list of all of our episodes and show notes, some ministry partners to help you in your own ministry, an online store to support the podcast, published articles by me, and more. So be sure to visit our website for those things. Also, we really love when people give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Apple is the biggest podcast streamer, and it really helps boost our visibility when people give us a good review. So if you go there and give us a review, not just a rating, but a review, take a screenshot of it before you hit submit and send it to me. And as a thank you, I will send you a card with some merchandise that you can't buy on our online store. So be sure to do that. Well, that's all for now. So until next time, thanks again for listening. Adios. Adios.